Welcome to Health Essentials, a Cleveland Clinic podcast. There's so much health advice floating around, online, among friends, but who can you really trust? Trust the experts. Listen to the world's brightest medical minds, our very own Cleveland Clinic experts. We ask them real questions, tough and intimate health questions, and we get real answers, all originally recorded live. Hi, thank you for joining us. I'm Nada Youssef, your host for today. And today we are talking, we're taking your questions regarding men's health issues in honor of Prostate Health Awareness Month. So make sure you leave your questions down below in the comment section and we'll read them live. September is Men's Health Awareness Month at Cleveland Clinic. Our goal is to have men put sports talk on hold and get them talking about their health. In a recent Cleveland Clinic survey, we found that only 61% of men visit the doctor's office when a problem or symptom arise. And about 32% of these men don't talk to their families about their health because they're worried. They don't want to worry them. Um, so our goal is to help men open up about these matters, which are their health. So join the conversation today with our discussion with the hashtag MentionIt. And today we have Dr. James Allshaker, Professor and Vice Chairman of Urology at the Cleveland Clinic to answer your questions. But before we get started, again, please remember... This is for informational purposes use only, and this is not to replace your own physician's advice. Thank you so much for coming in today. Great. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Do you want to go ahead and just introduce yourself to our viewers? Sure. Uh, good afternoon. As you can see, we have a beautiful mid-September day here in Cleveland, Ohio, which uh, we're very thankful for. My name is uh, Jim Allshaker. I have uh, been here on staff at the Cleveland Clinic now for 21 years. The areas that uh, I concentrate on mostly in, uh, in my care for patients is in prostate cancer, bladder cancer, and in, I'm in charge of male voiding dysfunction here at the clinic. Um, I welcome to, uh, again, answer questions or concerns or, uh, you know, here as a resource for you. And uh, let's get started. Awesome. Thank you. Well, let's get started with Henry's question. Um, what are some of the food or supplements to help my prostate health? That's a good question. Um, there are many over-the-counter supplements uh, which are available. Mm -hmm. But understand that because they're supplements, none of them need to go under FDA approval or, or studies. And so... There's, so there's very little data on many of these. Salt palmetto is probably the most common, and the most common dosage that salt palmetto is used is usually comes in 160 milligram or so uh, capsules or tablets, and 320 milligrams a day is the most common dosage. It may help in some mild voiding dysfunction, again, but some of the studies from Europe don't show that there is a lot of benefit to it. Sure. Um, there have been many studies that looked at zinc. Zinc uh, kind of has fallen out of favor, doesn't really do a whole heck of a lot. Mm -hmm. um, at one time it was felt that lycopenes, which, are, which is a substance that's uh, released in cooked tomato products, may lead to potentially less prostate cancer and uh, potentially even some avoiding uh, benefits, that's been refuted. Okay. Um, at one time, vitamin E was thought to be of benefit. That's also been refuted. In fact, we now know that vitamin E actually 
can cause some increased cardiovascular negative effects, so we definitely do not recommend excess vitamin E. Okay. Again, some of the other prostate supplements uh, which are out there, I'm not going to name any particular ones by name, but again, understand they maybe have some mild benefit, um, but uh, in many men, it will be not very much benefit whatsoever. Okay, great. And then I have Brian. I've had prostate cancer that was successfully treated with a combination of Lupron and radiation therapy that ended in February 2016. I had my last shot in May. Is it possible to receive testosterone to offset the side effects of Lupron? Okay. Well, Brian, uh, uh, good luck. Many, um, I'm glad that your treatments were, have, have gone well and you think that they've gone, been successful. Brian, I'll be honest with you, I can't, with the information that I have, I can't really tell you whether or not it's going to be safe or not to, to do that, to go on testosterone. One, normally a man is on combination of LHRH agonists, or Lupron being one of those, which for those of you who may not know, Lupron is actually designed to decrease the amount of testosterone in the system and it's used normally in higher grade prostate cancer treatments along with external beam radiation. I'll call it almost like the Muhammad Ali theory of prostate cancer treatment. The hormone therapy is kind of like a constant jab, 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 and then the hormone therapy is like the right cross to try to knock out the, the prostate cancer. But again, that's normally only for higher grade prostate cancers and the, we normally don't want to start people on testosterone really right away after because, again, prostate cancer, that Lupron will, or the testosterone will kind of serve like fertilizer mm -hmm. for prostate cancer. We don't want that actively growing. So that's one I would tell you. You probably want to wait a little longer till your PSAs are, are lower. Uh, you know, that's something maybe you can consider a few years out, but that's one I think I would discuss with your uh, urologist or your and your radiation therapist and, and get their opinion ri Great. really on that. Awesome. And jumping from prostate to bladder, I have uh, Mimi with a question here. When is it appropriate to treat stage 3 bladder cancer with chemo before bladder removal? Ooh, that's a good question. Mm -hmm. So it's called neoadjuvant or before definitive treatment chemotherapies. And that was really the standard of care in Europe for many years before and there are studies which show that uh, for certain types of bladder cancers that there may be of some benefit to it. Mm -hmm. Where you may have a longer disease-free survival if you get the chemotherapy up front then, and then the surgery. So if there's any small microscopic areas of spread, the chemotherapy tries to take care of that area first. Mm -hmm. And then kind of like a cleanup is what the surgical management then is. Mm -hmm. The problem or the difficulty with it, depending on how healthy or what other comorbid conditions a, an individual may have, that one's not just for a man because women get bladder sure. cancer as well. And that is that you gotta be able to receive all of the doses of the chemotherapy up front and still be healthy enough to have the bladder removed. Awesome. And so 
your what we call your performance status or how healthy you are at the time of diagnosis and in, in the early treatment may dictate. But and again the different type of cancer. So for transitional cell stage three bladder cancer, there may definitely be a role for the for the chemotherapy up front. But there are some varieties of bladder cancer, some different cell types of bladder cancer, where again, that may not necessarily be the optimal option. Again, that's, that as well you're going to want to discuss with your medical oncologist mm -hmm. as well as your urologist, because those are the two individuals that are going to be really dictating and involved or giving you your best options for your care. But that's a great question. Sure. Thank you for that. And we have Ryan. It takes me a long time to pee, and it takes a while to start. Should I be worried? Well, again, it, 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 that's, again, now you're falling right in the area of what the majority of my practice is. Mm -hmm. the, um, we call that hesitancy, where you may want, have the feeling to go to the bathroom, you try to go to the bathroom, and you're just not able to really get it started. That's a bigger issue as well if we find out that you're not emptying your mm -hmm. bladder. Again, if you're not emptying your bladder, one of the concerns or the risks are the sequelae of what we call urinary retention. Those sequelae may be bladder stones. Those sequelae may be infections. And eventually, one of the big things we try to make sure is that there's no significant backup of urine in your kidneys that develops where it can lead to potential renal acute kidney injury or chronic kidney injury and subsequent uh, dialysis in severe forms. The, now, I'm not saying that that's necessarily your case, but I'm just giving you what the potential sequelae may be. So if it takes you a long time to pee, the question then becomes, is it because your prostate is too big and is blocking the stream, or is it that your bladder may not be pushing as well and contracting as well to drive the urine out? Again, if it becomes a, a major issue in your life and it's bad enough, I would seek uh, some some uh, help from a healthcare professional. You may be your primary care doctor first who may be able to check a residual value or how much, basically it's a small little, it's called a bladder scan, a small little device which is handheld that will tell us how much is left in your bladder. And again, if it becomes severe enough or your symptoms are bothersome enough, you may want to see your urologist uh, depending to try to, because there are both medical options and uh, procedural or surgical options, which may be of benefit to you. Great. And then Jim has actually a question about dripping after you pee. Mm -hmm. How do I make it stop, and is it something to worry about? Okay. Again, that's the uh, one of the questions is, are you, Jim, are you emptying your bladder or are you not? Okay. And again, that we don't know. A couple mm -hmm. of things that you may want to consider doing. Number one is, uh, A, the... Many men may have what's called a, we call a post-micturition or a post-void bladder contraction, where the bladder wants to contract even though you don't necessarily want it to after mm. you're done urinating. And so one of the things that we tell guys often at, if this is the case is that you may just want to wait 20 or 30 seconds after you're done urinating, see if you have one of those to try to avoid um, 
that, and, and so you, the urine comes out in the toilet before you put yourself away and it comes out in your underwear. The other thing that you may want to consider is actually you can milk the prostate, and that's the area where the perineum is between the, the scrotum and the rectum, and if there's any trapped urine there and milk it forward, that may uh, decrease some of the post-void residual. Again, you still got to, though, make sure whether or not you're actually emptying your bladder adequately or not. Excellent. And um, I have Aaron. What is the best treatment for low bladder pressure? Oh, that's a great question, Aaron. We have a lot of great drugs that are designed for high bladder pressures. Right. We have drugs that help the bladder called anticholinergics that help the bladder to... to to stop some of the contractions of the bladder. The biggest problem with those is that those side effects are dry mouth and constipation, and some men find, and women too, find that to be worse than the sure. symptom they have. Sure. There's also another class of drugs called the beta-3 agonists, which actively relax the bladder. And they, have a, they don't have quite the same negative side effects. There are some that a little bit of side effect they may have, but much lower percentages. And, and people tolerate those drugs. Unfortunately, we don't have any great drugs to help the bladder to contract better. Mm -hmm. the, the, there were some drugs at one time that were in development, but they couldn't, we're not, well, it hasn't been made specific enough for the bladder, so it made the bowels contract differently and people got cramps. It could make the heart or the lungs contract differently and, and, and make it more difficult to breathe. There's too many cross-reactivity organs that it affects, so I don't have any drugs to make it contract better. Oftentimes for very weak bladders, one of the things we try to do is to try to, through procedures or at times medicines, but more often procedures to decrease the outlet resistance that, or that the prostate may offer. Mm -hmm. So it may take less bladder pressure to try to drive the urine out. So it's a plumbing issue, hmm. but I don't have any meds really to help. There are some older meds, but they just don't work very well. And uh, I don't have any great drug that helps the bladder contract better. Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, we're jumping on to Matt. Um, I've been getting up a lot during the night. Is that something to worry about? Um, well, again, Matt, I don't know what a lot is. Um, I can tell you this, that it's normal for a 60-year-old man to get up once, a 70-year-old man to get up twice, an 80-year-old man to get up three times. That's what we kind of consider the norms. Okay. Understand nighttime frequency, though, I, I say that it's multifactorial. There's a lot of things that contribute to men getting up at night. It isn't necessarily just urologic or, or uh, prostate. So, for example, we know that men who have sleep apnea mm -hmm. oftentimes will get up more times mm -hmm. at night. So it's not really their urination that's getting them up. They get up for other reasons and then go urinate. Okay. Two, we actually make more urine at night than we do during the day. And that's because, especially as we get older, more fluid because our veins just aren't as, as uh, well, they don't work quite as well and they leak a little more fluid. Mm. And there's more fluid that may pool in our lower extremities in the, uh, during the day. 
And so at night, when you lie down at night, that fluid gets back in circulation. Your heart and your kidneys say, boy, I got too much fluid on board. Let's get rid of some of this fluid. Yeah. And subsequently, you make more urine. And so, again, there can be cardiovascular reasons why, again, you retain some of that fluid. Some of the easy things you may want to do is watch your fluid intake after dinner. So, again, what goes in has still got to come out. Yeah, right. Number two is you may want to watch your caffeine and your alcohol intake in the evening hours especially. Okay. We know that caffeine is the number one bladder irritant that exists, so you are going to go more urgently and more frequently with caffeine. Okay. Caffeine mostly is in coffee, tea, iced tea, soda pops, and then alcohol. Alcohol works a little bit differently. The kidneys aren't able to reabsorb water the same way with alcohol. So again, you're going to make more urine when, it, when you have alcohol. So again, I'm not telling anybody not necessarily to have coffee or tea or alcohol. What I'm saying is, mm -hmm. A, if it's bothering you and you're having some of the negative side effects from it, it may be a lifestyle modification you may want to make to lessen those, especially in the evening hours. Now, if Matt is under 60 years old, mm -hmm. going more than once a night is abnormal? Well, again, zero to one time is, you know, I don't get upset too much if somebody's getting up once a night. Okay. Um, but again, if you're going more often, whatever, again, it's, and again, it, some men are able to fall right back asleep, so it's not necessarily a big issue or a big problem. Sure. One of the things, again, that you consider is, hey, are you emptying your bladder well or not? You know, if you have a cup and you're only able to urinate half the cup, mm -hmm. it doesn't take you as long to fill back up again sure. to want to go to the restroom. And so, again, another reason why a man may want to seek, uh, you know, some medical guidance uh, if it's a problem in his life. Oops. And um, Sergio, I, I think we kind of touched on this a little bit, but uh, Sergio is asking, sometimes it feels like I have to go pee really bad, mm -hmm. but then when I go, only a couple of drops come out. Mm -hmm. Again, one of the questions is, Sergio, is I have no idea how well you're emptying your bladder. Mm -hmm. And again, if you're just emptying enough to take the pressure off, but you're still retaining a significant amount of urine, again, that's something you may want to see a, a healthcare professional right. about. Right. And then I have Syed. Uh, what are the most common tests or treatments for um, erectile dysfunction, ED? Okay. Um, so, Syed, um, a lot of times there isn't a whole lot of tests or treatments that are necessary, or, or uh, testing that's actually done before some treatments. Mm -hmm. The, by far, the most common way that ED is treated in this country is by oral medications. Um, there are, um, again, uh, medications um, which are out there uh, that are designed to give you better, longer-lasting erections. Mm -hmm. And one of the big reasons why some of these drugs actually don't work is, A, the timing and how they're taken by patients. Mm. So in the majority of them, you want to take them about 60 to 90 minutes before you want to have an erection on an empty stomach with no alcohol. That's how these medications work the best. Um, 
we know as well that some of these medications may not work as well in diabetic males mm -hmm. um, as well. And so sometimes we have to go to second-line therapies. The majority of the second-line therapies actually will consist of a, we call it a vacuum erection device, which is a pump system, so to speak, that you put over the penis, it creates negative pressure in the chamber that allows more blood flow into the penis and then a constriction band is placed at the bottom to maintain the blood in the penis. Mm -hmm. There's injection therapies where you're able to inject a small amount of specific medications into the shaft of the penis. Again, that actually gives a very good erection as well. And lastly, and in more, um, more uh, severe forms or when the other therapies don't work, there's what is called a penile prosthesis, which is a silicone device, which is surgically placed, and then men are able to achieve an erection in that fashion. But those are the most common ways that erectile dysfunction is treated in the United States. Great, awesome. Okay, and I have uh, Jim. Does what I eat matter when it comes to ED? Does what you eat mm -hmm. matter when it comes to ED? No, I mean it can, but it's more what you drink may okay. affect the erection, okay, erectile dysfunction. <laughs> okay. Again, we know that we know that alcohol is a big thing, and so uh, and that's really one of the biggest that we ingest ourselves. Okay. So I normally tell my guys, do it the opposite way of what we normally do socially, and I'll say. Take your Medicaid, your erectile medication at 4.30, have some fun at 6 o'clock, then have a drink and go out I to see. dinner. <laughs> Societal-wise, we'll often, you know, have Thank a drink, you. go out to dinner, and then come home and have intercourse. And, again, if you're going to take the medicines, it doesn't work as well with alcohol. It mm -hmm. doesn't work as well on a full stomach. Right. And right. So, um, so that's one. In terms of actual foods, we do know there's a significant correlation with our metabolic index and what I'll say, and erections. Mm -hmm. And so when a man is in the optimal health that they can be in, where, so a heart healthy diet is a prostate and a, and a penile healthy diet, okay? Mm -hmm. Because again, if we have blockages in our coronary arteries, et cetera. And we know that high fat diets and, and um, you know, uh, again, I'm not a dietitian expert, whatever, but um, that, that those um, substances or, you know, such as fat, uh, some animal fats, which can clog the coronary arteries, they can also decrease the size of our iliac and our various other arteries that supply blood flow to the prostate. Okay. And so again, just proper exercise, get yourself in good shape. Again, we know that some medications as well, uh, diuretics are big things that, um, that decrease erectile abilities. And uh, that again, you want to check with your healthcare provider as to whether, it, whether some of those medications you're ingesting as well may be leading to some of your erectile dysfunction. And to piggyback off of that, I know we're talking about um, physical fitness, but what about psychological effects? Could that 
Could that affect? Oh, um, absolutely. We know that um, it isn't just a, it's a continuum, both erections and ejaculations mm -hmm. of, of a physical effect, a mm -hmm. psychological effect. And so if, if a man is under extreme stress, you know, whether it's work issues, whether it's home or family issues, whether it's, you know, a, a anything, a, sure. a big exam, a change in their job, a whatever it may be, absolutely, uh, that, that even that just that psychogenic stress can definitely lead to some, you have to be able to relax right, in order right. to be able to achieve a, a good erection. Excellent. And then, uh, okay, jumping onto bladder again. Uh, I have Amber. My brother had his bladder removed because of cancer. Mm -hmm. Is there any way to reconstruct a bladder other than a peg? Oh, yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and um, let's first talk a little bit about bladder cancer in mm -hmm. and of itself. We actually know that the number one cause of bladder cancer by far is cigarette smoking. And it's actually one of the highest correlated cancers to mm -hmm. cigarette smoking. I kind of use an analogy of if, if you're smoking a cigarette, your lungs sees smoke for about eight minutes or however long it takes to smoke mm -hmm. the cigarette. But many of the toxins from, that are inhaled and get into the bloodstream are actually filtered by the kidneys. Mm -hmm those toxins then get in the urine and constantly bathe the lining of the bladder of the urine. Mm -hmm. It's also very rare for a man or a woman to urinate completely and even when you do, the urine fills back up slowly so mm -hmm. the bladder wall or the transitional cells are constantly seeing that toxin 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And that's why it's one of the highest correlated cancers to cigarettes. Okay. For advanced cancers, invasive cancers, and certain high-grade cancers which have a very high probability of spreading, mm -hmm. um, one of the treatment options is to have the bladder removed. But the urine's got to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. And historically, oftentimes, it was, went into what was called an ileal conduit, where we took a small piece of the ileum, which is the last segment of the small intestine, mm -hmm. and plugged the ureters in here and then made what was called a stoma. I think that's what she's talking about. That goes to the outside. But yes, in 2017, in many cases, we have the ability where we're able to build a new bladder most commonly, it's called a Studer pouch, named after Urs Studer, who was a very prominent European uh, urologist, very good man, actually. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and in that particular procedure, you take out significantly more, about 60 centimeters rather than 20, of the small intestine, and you do what's called detubularize it. You turn it from a tube, and you make an incision, and it becomes a patch. Mm -hmm. You then fold the patch on itself to create a bigger patch. Then you fold up the bigger patch to try to create a ball and then hook the ball back up down to the bottom. In order to do that, though, 
is that you got to make sure, A, there's no cancer on the bottom where sure. you take it off. Two, a gentleman's going to be, or a, ma a lady, is going to be healthy enough to be able to have 60 centimeters of their intestine removed rather than 20. Right. It takes about an hour and a half to two hours longer to do the procedure. And... Um, and uh, again, the, the, and, and if you can't hook it up to the bottom, sometimes you're able to hook it up and you do what's called a catheterizable limb. And that's another way. But yes, we are able to build pouches now um, so you don't necessarily have to wear a bag on the outside. Excellent. Okay, we'll have time for just one more question. Okay. Um, I have Aaron. Can adult bedwetting be cured by bladder therapy? Um, at times. Again, the, um, some of it can be improved by, uh, again, setting alarms. Mm -hmm. So you make yourself get up once or twice at night before your bladder gets too full, and you're able to, to avoid that. Two, maybe medications. Mm -hmm. Again, we talked about some of the early medications. There's also medications such as Botox, such as one called PTNS, peripheral tibial nerve stimulation, which is actually a procedure, not a medicine. Okay. There are, there's another one, uh, and a new form is coming out with, it's a basically DDAVP, but it's, I'm not going to get into all the things, but it basically stops some urine from being made during that time. Um, and as well, Watch your caffeine intake, watch your alcohol intake, sleep apnea is different things. You know, make sure you can do yourself from a behavioral standpoint uh, the best you can. And if, you, if you, after you make those changes, you're still suffering from some bedwetting, then seeking some care again from a, a urologic health care expert may make some sense. Excellent. This has been very interesting. Thank you. Well, is there anything that, any last words you would like to leave our viewers with? Well, just that if you, again, guys, don't be afraid to come to the doctor. Um, remember, the number one reason why many of our men come to the doctors is because their women or significant other in their lives tell them to go to the doctor. them do it. And right. <laughs> don't be afraid. We're not, we're not going to bite you. We're only out for you know, really your best interest and to try to both improve the quantity of your life and try to help the quality of your life. But we're here if you need. Excellent. Thank you. And for more health information, make sure you keep following us on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and Instagram at Cleveland Clinic One Word. And thank you so much for watching. We'll see you next time. This concludes this Cleveland Clinic Health Essentials podcast. Thank you for listening. Join us again soon.